0: Another informational resource from UK Healthcare. This is UK HealthCast, featuring conversations with our physicians and other healthcare providers. Here's Melanie Cole. For a person living with MS, physical wellness can involve so much more than just disease and symptom management. My guest today is Dr. Janadha Avasarala. He's a neurologist with a specialty in MS at UK Health. Dr. Avasarala, I'm so glad to have you with us. We're talking about a really great topic. Tell us what is MS for the people that really don't understand what this is.
1: Right. Thanks for having me. Um, multiple sclerosis is a chronic neurological disease of the brain and the spinal cord, and it typically affects young individuals, and more so women than men. Um, and that's how you know, one would look at it as a disease.
0: Do we know what causes MS? Is it an autoimmune disease, doctor? Is it something that if you have family history of autoimmune? Tell us a little bit about that.
1: So MS is an autoimmune disease, like you pointed out. Um, it's a disease driven by B cells and T cells, which are part of the immune system. Um And a person who has another immune disease can have MS as an additional, I guess, disease affecting the brain or the spinal cord, although it is not necessary to have other diseases uh, on top of MS. Uh, But it does um, also go along with, like I said, other autoimmune diseases to your question about whether family members who have other autoimmune diseases uh, and, therefore, the person of interest with MS would be influenced by other autoimmune diseases in the family is debatable. But uh, somebody who has a family member with MS obviously has an increased risk of multiple sclerosis. Now, keep in mind, this is not... Uh, an inherited disease. It's not a heritable disease. Uh, the risk goes up if some of the family members, as in, um, you know, a sibling or parents having the disease or sometimes, you know, a twin having multiple sclerosis and the risk of this other twin who is unaffected, the risk of disease goes up. <laughs>
0: Then let's talk a little bit about diagnosis and symptoms, because some of the symptoms might mimic other diseases. And it can be hard to diagnose it completely, can't it? Tell us what might someone experience and at what age right. might they experience so, some of those symptoms.
1: Right, right. Um, so the symptoms can vary. Um, so let's talk about symptoms. So like I said, it could be optic neuritis, or it could be weakness in a limb. Or it could be a person has weakness in his legs or her legs. It could be a bladder symptom. Sometimes it's sensory, which means tingling and numbness that is persistent um, that lasts, let's say, more than a couple of days, for example, and doesn't go away. And it's spontaneous in its onset. I mean, it just pops out one day and it just pops up. It's not as if something triggers it. I mean, heat can worsen and heat can also bring on a symptom. But typically, when the symptoms present, um, to your question about confusion and why there is a misdiagnosis or why there is an overlap with other diseases, uh, this is because uh, there are so many neurological diseases that MS can overlap with. So, so for example, somebody has acutely sudden onset, for example, some facial tingling and numbness, and there is arm weakness or leg weakness, that can be part of a stroke, for example. Or, for example, something, you know, in the setting of somebody who has, let's say, a history of Lyme disease, and that person has symptoms that may mimic multiple sclerosis, the question becomes, is this Lyme disease or is this MS? How do we know which is which? So something that also mimics multiple sclerosis, other diseases like sarcoidosis, vasculitis, for example, and other there are many, many diseases that produce similar symptoms, and it's hard to separate because there's a lot of overlap. And one has to be cautious in giving out a diagnosis because there is a strong element of misdiagnosis, and patients also get treated, um, you know, for a diagnosis, for a presumed diagnosis of MS, and that that can be an issue as well.
0: So if you do diagnose it, and this is such a big topic, we could really talk about it all day, what is the first line of defense and treatment? Is it about managing the symptoms, managing the medications? Tell us a little bit about treatment.
1: So treatment um, has come a long way. The very first drug uh, in terms of FDA approval for multiple sclerosis began in 1993, there were injectable therapies um, that were first introduced into the market, and then came the oral medications, and now we just ballooned into uh, much more sophisticated medications that also includes intravenous preparations uh, called monoclonal antibodies, um, and we also have um, bone marrow transplantation as part of the therapy that is beginning to, um, you know, rise up to. Uh, you know, you know, it has the potential, I guess, to become mainstream, but it's a few years away, obviously, maybe it's a care away, 10 years away, you know, it's tough to estimate that, but um, MS therapies have come a long way, and uh, to answer your question about, you know, is it symptom management, or is it um, trying to halt the progression of the disease, most of the drugs currently that we have in the market, and there are two new medications that have also been introduced for uh, disability-related concerns with MS, Uh, most of the drugs uh, treat the neuroinflammation. So they treat the inflammatory component of the disease primarily and address the disability to a degree. But now there are two new drugs, Mavenclad and Mazent, which are designed for secondary progressive multiple sclerosis uh, management, and these drugs are targeted towards trying to prevent worsening of disability. So whether you treat the inflammatory component or the the disability aspect of the disease, um, one has to be reminded that these medications do not represent a cure. So the, the goal is to stop the disease in its tracks and hold the patient in the functional status with which he or she presents to the doctor. So a person who is walking and presents to me, for example, with multiple sclerosis, I want her to keep walking 20, 25 years from now, meaning the time of the, the diagnosis. So the goal is to keep the patient exactly in the physical status with which he or she presents to the doctor. Um, Although ideally, patients want to get back to their basic health status, and it may may or may not happen in the near future, but uh, the primary goal as it stands now is to help the patients remain stable.
0: Then tell us, doctor, how's the treatment of MS at UK different from other places in Kentucky?
1: Well, I mean, uh, being a university center, we have uh, typically we give every medication that is prescribed at any large medical center. We have infusions, we have uh, uh, the latest, I guess, drugs that are given at any large center. So, for example, if you take Stanford um, University or picket place, you know, Johns Hopkins, what they give is what they give, he- well, what we give here. Uh, In the private world, uh, is this being replicated, I guess, uh, if there are MS experts in the area, which uh, I believe there are in Louisville, they might be doing you know, similar, uh, I guess, approaches. But we at UK have what the rest of the world does, pretty much what the rest of the country, the rest of the world does is what we do. We also have some clinical trials that we are enrolling in, so are pushing boundaries as far as new medications are concerned, and um, I guess you know trying to introduce tomorrow's medications, tomorrow's medicines that would probably be approved in a few years. We also have clinical trials for those type of drugs at UK.
0: How exciting, and what a time to be in this field, doctor! As we wrap up, research has shown that healthy diet and exercise ongoing preventive care can really help overall health for patients with MS. Speak about really your best advice, but about living a healthy lifestyle, managing expectations, whether they be public perception or mental health or exercise. Tell us a little bit about the lifestyle for someone with MS and what you tell people every day.
1: right, right. So, um, excellent questions all, but I think what I tell my patients is the following. Yeah, of course, like you said, we have medications now. We probably have almost close to 20 or between 20 and 22 medications now, FDA approved uh, just for multiple sclerosis. So, you know, from 1993 up until now, there's been a quantum leap in terms of medications that we are able to give, number one. Number two, lifestyle Swimming is the best way to go if you want to be active. In multiple sclerosis, with rise in body temperature when a person exercises, even one degree rise in core temperature can have uh, an adverse effect on patient symptomatology. So uh, worsening of symptoms or a new symptom might pop up. So swimming is the best way to do it because the water is cooler than on a person's uh, body and then it helps. Uh, take away the, dissipate the heat. Um, as far as diet is concerned, uh, the usual, uh, I guess advice that I give yeah. is to make sure that they eat low salt and low fat. And, you know, typically it's almost like a cardiac diet, if you will. What you would tell a cardiac patient is what this person would do. Um, eat a lot of fiber, obviously, keep the balls healthy. Uh, drink plenty of fluids. Make sure that you have no, a person doesn't have bladder issues. Uh, because bladder issues can be part of MS, so we want to keep them away. Uh, And then, you know, uh, make sure that the patient, uh, so depression sometimes and fatigue can be issues as well. So we treat them, and uh, you know, if need be, and also um, getting a good night's sleep. And so general uh, health-related concerns and topics would be how we tailor uh, each person, I guess, requirements, but my team is to also tell them to check the National MS Society website uh, because there's lots of information on diet, exercise, well-being, and also other health groups and, um, you know, patients like MS who have similar issues and so forth. So, these days, everything, you know, on the social media, uh, you know, one can be active. There are apps, obviously, galore uh, They'll also help patients, and uh, like I said, you know, if somebody wants to exercise, I tell them again and again to try and enroll themselves in a swimming class or a swimming exercise program to keep themselves healthy and active.
0: Wow, it's great information. Doctor, thank you so much for coming on, sharing your incredible expertise and explaining this all so very well to us. That wraps up another episode of UK HealthCast with the University of Kentucky HealthCare. Head on over to our website at ukhealthcare.uky.edu for more information and to get connected with one of our providers. If you found this podcast informative, please share with your friends and family on social media and be sure to check out all the other interesting podcasts in our library. I'm Melanie Cole.